It's no secret that I'm a big, big soccer fan. And with the U.S. eliminated from the Women's World Cup, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to reflect upon the lessons that can be extracted from this moment. Uh, and not just for the women, but also for the men, because there's a lot of similarities and a lot of reasonings why uh, the success certainly um, in this, both their last World Cups, just isn't where they would like it to be. So let's kind of recap um, for the women, if you're unfamiliar. Basically, there's a group stage um, where, you know, there's four teams, and so everyone plays each other um, once, and so it's a total of three games per team. You get three points for winning, one point for a draw. And the U.S. being ranked number one in the world, they were expected to, you know, top the group and go on and win the World Cup, right? However, that didn't happen. They actually came in second. So the two spots, two top spots at the end move on. And they struggled to get into the knockout rounds, which was very alarming, right? And their performances were horrid. And then you get to the round of 16, where it's knockout phase, and, you know, here it's do or die, essentially, right? You either win or you go home, and if at the end of extra time the game is tied, you go into penalty kicks, and then, you know, it's determined that way, which is exactly what happened. It was a 0-0 draw at the end of extra time with Sweden, and the U.S. is knocked out. And, you know, I'm going to start with the women and then kind of get into the, 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 the men's side of all of it. But as far as the women, they've enjoyed this dominance in the world game. You know, they've already won four World Cups, which is quite impressive. And so with this World Cup, they were, they were expected to, you know, get to five. And in this particular one, they would have, like, repeated it three times, right? From the previous, uh, you know, 2015, 2000. Uh, 19, and now, right? So that didn't happen. And that's because the level of play from other teams has grown vastly. I've been watching, you know, as many of the other games as I can, and it is very surprising, the results. You know, teams that you would never expect to win, let alone move on, are doing so. And they're not doing it by luck. They're doing it in convincing fashion. So the rest of the world is catching up. And that's a big, big major component to the game because it's very easy in life, right? And this is, a, this is one of the key things I want to highlight. It's very easy in life to be number one when the competition sucks and there's not a lot of it, right? In the past... Uh, there weren't 32 teams in the Women's World Cup. Now there are. That is a shift in how the, the, the tournament is conducted. And you would think that the quality by adding more teams would perhaps lessen. Well, incorrect. They, they added you know those teams because uh, so many teams are deserving. You know, Jamaica... This Cinderella story 
they got here because they, they had to crowdfund for themselves um, to get here. And yet they made it. And what they showed on the field was just absolutely incredible. So there's all these teams that are just on the rise. Okay. And that's a major lesson in life that, you know, um, it's very easy to be number one when the competition is minimal and low. You know, I can look at, you know, Elon Musk with Tesla has enjoyed quite the reign of his, you know, line of electric vehicles, but now we're seeing more competition, right? And ultimately, that should be a good thing because it raises the level for everybody. However, the U.S. has failed to rise to that occasion, right? While others are getting better, the U.S., if anything, was on a downturn this this time around. Now, can they progress again? Yes, they can. However, there's a major flaw there as well, and that is the U.S. just soccer foundation itself. And this goes both for the men and women, because oftentimes, you know, people look to the men and they're like, we have so many people in the U.S., right? 300 million people or so. How do we not have a better team than, let's say, Croatia, which has a total population of 4 million and yet is basically like getting into the semifinals, finals and so forth at pretty much every major tournament. And they're doing it like they're doing it consistently, right? And this is a country that's not been around for that long, but they seem to like just be able to produce incredible athletes. So how is this? Well, the U.S. has a, just sports in general has a like major um, pay-to-play model, and soccer in the U.S. for children is very expensive. Whereas for the like the rest of the world, it's the world's game, and the reason why it's the world's game is because. You just need a round object to play, and you play, right? You get a group of, you know, people anywhere, right? Uh, just in the, in the, you know, in the streets, at a small local park, with or just some place with grass, and you play. The U.S. doesn't have that culture, you know. I mean, I think I've seen statistics as much as you, you know. I, I don't know if this is the average or whatever, but. Um, you know, certainly it was, it was costly to play for me growing up and it still is costly, but you know, around like even $3,000 per year per child, that's a lot of money to play a sport. And so our, so how can we have the best players when we're already excluding them based on financial ability, right? So you know, the first factor is the rest of the world is coming up at a, at a, at a higher level. Um, the, the, we have a poor foundation in terms of our youth with the pay to play. And then the next side of it is, um, you know, certainly the MLS. Um, it's like a retirement league for like, like the talent that it's attracting is not top-tier talent. You know, right now, a game-changer is, of course, Lionel Messi, the world's greatest player, uh, plays for Inter Miami. But he's just scoring at will, essentially, and doing what he wants. And it's very indicative of 
the level of the league, you know? Um, and even like the women's league, it really pales in comparison to the talent in Europe. You know, European leagues are still the gold standard for soccer. And as far as the U.S. women's team is concerned, only Lindsey Horan plays soccer there. And, you know, you can look at a good thing, like you want to keep our players here and nurture them and grow them, but they need to be playing competitively against top-class talent. And unfortunately, they're not doing that. Now, if you're familiar, you could flip that argument on me and say, well, what about the men? You know, you have a lot of the U.S. men's team playing in European sides. This is true. You know, you look at like Sergio Dest, Weston McKenney, certainly Christian Pulisic, um, Tyler Adams, and the list goes on and on. However, they've not made the mark on those teams as one would hope. You know, Sergio Dest on Barcelona. They're basically offloading him as quickly as they can, right? Christian Pulisic's time at Chelsea, yes, was marred by injuries at times, but he also, you know, had an inconsistency to him. So let's see how he does with AC Milan now that he's over there. Uh, but we'll see, right? Um, so a lot of the a lot of these players just haven't like really stepped up in the way that like those teams would want them to step up, right? Um, you know, Gio Reyna is still young, and he's playing for Dortmund over in Germany. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that perhaps he deserves to be a starter, but he's someone that just suffers from injuries, um, you know, which sucks, of course. So it's kind of hampered his ability to be consistent. But we'll see. I think this this year will really be a determining year for him in terms of where he's able to play, you know, in, in the early part of his 20s and, you know, as part of that preparation into this next world cycle, World Cup cycle of 2026 to get him ready, right? So, yeah, I, I think just in general, our, our league is inferior and the ones that our top talent is not able to really penetrate um, into these world-class teams, you know? And that's showing. That is really showing. And the last factor that I want to talk about is just our coaches. Actually, there's two, two things I want to talk about, but let's start with the coaches, um, you know, from the men's perspective, there was a whole fiasco after the World Cup with Greg Berhalter and opening up an investigation and so forth. And, you know, it was supposed to be taken very seriously. Um, and, but as part of that, they were looking for a new head coach. They were looking for the options. They said money's no expense. And, you know, I don't know the full story, you know, of what really happened. But ultimately, they ended up with Greg Berhalter, once again. And 
you know, it's just strange from the outside looking in. It's because once the independent investigation came back, it's not like they openly hired him. And like, it took a while to really get him back, you know, with the investigation. They never said, okay, you know, we're going to do this investigation pending the results. You know, we'll either fire him or we'll keep him. It was none of that. You know, they were, they seemed like they were actively looking for a replacement and then they just couldn't find anyone better. And it's interesting because a lot of the players on the U.S. men's team do like Greg Berhalter and went to bat for him, notably Christian Pulisic. Um, and I think there's something to be said about that. But at the same time, of course, you're going to back the person that you know, is playing you, right? Regardless of how the team is doing because, you know, the men themselves were knocked out of the round of 16 in their last World Cup, right? So both men and women got to the same position, essentially, and were eliminated. And I think that leads to, well, actually, let me also talk about the, um, you know, the the, the, the men's coach, um, Sorry, the, the women's coach, Vladko. So, you know, he's shown poor results in the Olympics and now the World Cup. And it's interesting to see people argue that, you know, he's not the reason that they lost this game. Well, he didn't set the tone. Yes, he made adjustments necessary and put him in a better position. But one could argue, like, he subbed on Magrapino who was a, who's a veteran, but uh, just all tournament has not delivered thus far. And then in this game, wasn't delivering as a substitute, and you're allowing her to take the PK. When you know one of the things like th- one of uh, one of the things evident as she was playing in this last game was that her free kicks and corners were atrocious, right? And yet you allowed her to shoot a penalty in spite of that, right? So, and, I, you know, I'm sort of of the old old school mindset. You know, we see this a lot in, in World Cups where if a team doesn't meet expectation, the coach goes. And, yeah, they didn't meet expectations. I mean, uh, for the women, they've never gone out before the semifinals in a World Cup. So this is the worst result ever in a World Cup by the women. And it's not to say, you know, I know I'm pointing out a lot of the flaws. It's not to say that there isn't an optimistic future. And I'll talk about that with my last point of how to get there. But it's just, yeah, it just wasn't good enough. And it seemed like... For him, in particular, he was second-guessing himself. And after the Portugal game that they barely scraped through in order to get to the round of 16, you know, there's... I've not seen coaches... Like, coaches will defend their players, sure. But they'll also be realistic about the performance that was had. And after this game, and, and a few days after... You know, they were touting it as a great game. 
So I get maintaining face and not wanting to let up, but I really believe like they were just unrealistic with themselves of like, wait, you really thought that was a good game on your part. And so just the ability to assess and adjust and so forth is just not there. And so I think it needs an insertion of something new, right? And by doing that, you can help change the mentality. Like I think, you know, so mentality is my last point and both the men and the women need a winning attitude. You know, both have a very rich history in, in different ways completely, but a rich history nonetheless of prior generations doing everything that they can to set this current generation up for success. Now, of course, the men have never won it before, but I remember in 2002, uh, the, the team that, you know, by all comparison, technically and so forth, you know, were far inferior to this current crop of, of men's players, went all the way to the quarterfinals in my opinion, you know, still to this day, I'm bitter that Germany essentially got one lucky goal. And, you know, we got a goal, but it, it, it was blocked by somebody with a hand and it should have been a handball, therefore a penalty and so forth. So I'm still bitter about that to this day. But the point being that, you know, that team rose above their weight class, if you will, and really propelled the the program forward, you know, as have other generations. And it seems odd in the more uh, current World Cups where that level has been declining. I mean, in 2018, the men didn't even make the World Cup, failing to beat Trinidad and Tobago. Now, the BS of it all is that, okay, well, they were away and the U.S. struggle away from home because the fields are crappy and so forth. That's just such a bad excuse, you know? And for the women, you know, they've enjoyed a lot of World Cup success. As I said, they've never gone out before the round of the, the semifinals, right? And so, you know, this by far is the worst result they've ever had. They've won the World Cup four times. You know, um, I applaud the past generation's you know, fighting tooth and nail to, um, you know, set these women up for success with better accommodations, better pay, um, and so forth, right? And it just feels like with both the national teams, that's taken for granted. And it's not like you have to talk about it or whatnot, but... That grit, let's say, is just simply missing from both teams to just do anything to win, right? Even if the team is better than you, just laying it all on the line to win. And sure, USA versus Sweden was a much, much, much improved match. And yet they didn't have that decisive thing of just getting in the back of the net. You know, the only person that I saw this from was a Lindsay Horan, right? In the game against uh, the Netherlands, 
second game, like she single-handedly saved the U.S. with her determination. She just went beast mode. And, you know, and, and that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of good players, um, you know, in this particular game against Sweden. Sonnet really stepped up. Um, you know, she was a good surprise. Um, and there's talent there by Rodman and Sophia Smith. Um, but I think others, you know, unfortunately, like an Alex Morgan, a little too late. And as I said, um, Megan Rapino was just non-existent in this World Cup, and one of the biggest criticisms against the Port- uh, after the Portugal game was that they were just celebrating, overjoyed, and so forth. And it's not to say that you know you have to be pissed off and miserable. No, n- not at all. But there is a difference knowing that, like, hey, you are lucky to get out of this alive, and you know. <sighs> Looking at it, again, from the outside in, I, I'm not there. But the veterans didn't seem to have that teaching mentality either. You know, um, Kelly O'Hara, you know, after that game, she seemed to be the only one to take everyone aside, even beyond the coach. Like, the coach was dumbfounded in speech. Was like, he didn't know what to say. I, I don't know what O'Hara said, but she looked like she was telling him, like, hey, we were lucky. And we have to improve, right? That's a true veteran. Whereas with Morgan and Rapino, I didn't see that same, same sort of leadership. And I look at back in my time, you know, whether in high school, whether in college, uh, you know, when I stepped in as a freshman, you know, Yes, there was a little bit of like, hey, we're the freshmen, so we're going to kind of rag on you a little bit. But at the same time, you know, uh, we, were, we were part of the team. And so we were shown the mentality of, of the team, right? And then by the time, you know, we came to be seniors, we passed that on, right? Um, and in particular, I can look back at my, you know, college days, and we really, you know, there was an uptick in where the program for Emerson College was headed. You know, we had some great players when I was a freshman, uh, but we kept improving each year in the way we recruited, in the way we practiced, and that mentality. We built on everything the past generations, you know, provided for us to the point that when we were seniors, we got all the way to the championship and lost two to one. You know, and that was heartbreaking. It was tough, but we literally went on like a 15, like we lost the first five games of our season. And it just wasn't clicking for us, right? Like it was just so bad. And then I remember our coach saying like, you know what, guys, new season. Just forget any of that happened. New season. Let's go. And, you know, we did. We went on a 15-game winning streak after that to get to all the way to the finals, and that was, that was the other game that we lost. It was 2-1. to one. But that wouldn't have happened without the leadership, you know, um, of our seniors, which then also, you know, had already matriculated down to the juniors, 
What, and then, you know, it was just infectious with the, with the sophomores and the freshmen. And the program continues to thrive to this day, you know, um, where now they're like going up against teams like MIT and able to win. I mean, MIT is like a nationally ranked team, <laughs> you know? So there has to be that mental shift in U.S. soccer to no matter what it takes, we're going to get it and we're going to win. So, you know, how that happens, it starts with the leadership. Now, you know, there's going to be a lot of turnover. A lot of players are retiring. You know, who knows about Alex Morgan? Uh, seems like Julie Ertz is on her way out um, and so forth. And so if anything, both teams, the, the, the men and the women, have a new crop of players, a new generation that have suffered defeat and now it is all about how they respond to this. You know, Sophia Smith missing that penalty kick. It is reminiscent of a Carly Lloyd who did that and then went on to win two World Cups. So can Sophia Smith be that? You know, Trinity Rodman um, didn't end up scoring, didn't play a role, you know, past, uh, you know, uh, I forget the, uh, when she was sub, subbed off exactly. But, you know, it's just one of those, yeah, I, I hope that's felt um, and remembered and built upon rather than moved on from and so forth. Because, as I said, the competition is there and, you know, uh, in the words of uh, Ted Lasso, or not Ted Lasso himself, but from the show, football is life. And, you know, I love watching the sport because there's a lot you can extract and apply to your life. You know, all these things, um, the, having a competitive nature. And, and that's why I left mentality for last because all the stu other stuff, you know, you know, that can be tweaked, that can be fixed. But without that mentality, none of it moves forward in any significant way. And so that has to be there, you know, and that's what this women's team lacked. And if I'm being honest, that's what the men's team lacked in the World Cup. Um, and so that's a major component to fix. The psychology of the game is sometimes more important. I mean, the fact that we had three players miss from the penalty spot for the U.S. women's penalty kicks are a mental game, you know. Um, a, a keeper saves a penalty kick 17% of the time on average. So it really comes down to the kicker. You know, in many ways, that's like a give me, you know, give me goal. But Alex Morgan, during um, play, in the group stage, she missed a penalty kick. You know, and that kind of revealed her mentality a little bit. Um, and then here, in the shootout, we had three missed penalties. That's 
and not just missed, like, like when I say missed, like, like sky hide, you know, um, one of them did hit the post and that was close and unlucky, but still a mental aspect to it. Whereas, you know, the Swedes, there was one that was sky high and then the others were blocked, right? So kudos to our goalkeeper, Nahar. But yeah, um, I just wanted to kind of take time to reflect upon this. Because, um, you know, when you really focus in on it, these lessons can apply to larger life as well. But if nothing else, it's just fun to talk about soccer, a sport that I love. Um, and as much pain sometimes that <laughs> the U.S. national team gives me, both the men and the women, I do support them and I do want them to do well. And not that they'll ever see this or listen to us. Maybe they will. Who knows? I don't know. But chances are not likely. I hope this energy is felt because I know I'm not the only one feeling it and that these changes happen so we can progress and, uh, you know, do well in tournaments such as the World Cup. But as always, I'm curious to know your thoughts. So comment down below or hit me up on social media. Thank you for taking time to listen to my thoughts.